Remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word. If you would like to turn in your own Bible, we'll be in Daniel 2 this morning. I promise we won't read the whole thing. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It is without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we open it this morning, we ask that you open our hearts and our ears that we may hear it. That we may be challenged by it. They may be humbled by it, but they may be encouraged by it as well, by the good news that it proclaims to us. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You can be seated. And I've, I've got a big cup up here. I usually have a water bottle, but I have one in the first service, and I left it on the front row, and um, those people that come through and clean up cleaned it up, and so there were no more water bottles. It's just water. I got a little bit of a head cold, and so it's better for you and for me uh, if you, we just bear with one another in this massive mug that was on my desk. We're in Daniel 2. We're continuing the sermon series that Harry started a couple weeks ago. I know for many of you, uh, the announcement last week that there was going to be no church probably sent a lot of fear into your hearts, like this whole announcement of Harry's retirement timeline got sped up, and now we don't have church any longer. It was just the threat of snow and ice. I know it didn't bear itself out quite as we thought it would or as it was forecasted, but um, we were better safe uh, than sorry, and I would have hate to have had service and someone like me fall and hurt themselves and then blame myself the rest of the week for my own injuries. But we're continuing this morning the series of living in a pagan world without becoming pagan. But I want to start with a question. Where do you go for hope? Where do you find comfort when hard things happen in life? 
When life punches you in the face or in the gut and suffering comes, where is it you run? This week in searching for for stories and illustrations to drive home the point I think this text is making, I was on the internet, the interwebs, and I, I went to Google and just typed in hope in the midst of hard things. And it reminded me of two stories that I know and knew very well when they happened, and you probably have heard them, and this might be just a reminder, but they're the story of, the first one, of Kara Tippetts. Kara was as the, the, the wife of a pastor and a mother in Colorado, and she had cancer, and she was dying. And in the midst of that, she started a blog called Mundane Faithfulness, and it caught fire. And people would read it for her words and the encouragement that it offered and this hope that it proclaimed. And as it got closer and closer to the time that her life would end, it got harder and harder to read, if we're honest. It was heartbreaking. And she wrote a letter that was to be posted after she passed. And the letter said this and within it. It said, It's impossible for me not to imagine coming to this place again to share my heart anew with you. It seems impossible that this journey has finally come to an end. But I've done gone and flown away to the land of no more tears. Won't you rejoice with me? My pain is gone. My fears are calmed. I'm in the sovereignly good hands of Jesus. He is my forever enough now. What bliss I'm sure I'm enjoying It's hard for me to separate my feelings for that place and for this. Just days before she would pass. What beautiful words. Another one, Ben Ellis, a teacher at Christ Pres Academy in Nashville. Ben had been teaching Latin at Christ Pres for a few years. And he came down with cancer. And he continued to teach through the treatments. His body growing ever weaker, his voice growing ever fainter. In front of his students and his peers, he lived out his pain and his suffering. And he taught all the way up until the point where he was physically unable to do so. And through the treatments and at home, news came to him one day from his doctors that the treatments were no longer working. And there was nothing they could do. So this man who had lived out this battle in front of his students and his peers had the hard reality of facing the fact that he was going to die. He was going to leave behind a wife and five kids. And he was young. The high school principal at Christ Prez found out that very morning that he had received that news. And he called the school together and he loaded them on the buses and they drove to Ben Ellis' house. And a video got posted of that encounter. Someone from inside Ben's room where they had wheeled him to the window and opened it. And they videotaped. And in his front yard stood the entire school and all of its teachers. 400 plus people. And they sang. And they worshipped. And you can hear this creaky, croaky voice that barely has the strength to be audible. Singing with them. And it was Ben Ellis. And he's crying, and his wife's crying, and there's kids you can tell are crying, and teachers that are crying. I cried when I watched it like three times this past week and a half. I mean, 
being honest here, is hard. And just a few days after that, he would write an editorial in the the local newspaper in Nashville. And he would write these words to the school. He said, tell my students, I love you. I believe now more than ever that God is good, that he is with us. I'm full of hope and peace and joy. And I wish all of this for you. Look to Jesus to know, to believe, and to be filled. Just a few days after penning those words, Ben Ellis would die. He would pass away from this life into the next and wait for the glorious return of Christ. These two deaths, they face it with such courage, with such hope, with such faith and strength. And if we're honest, that's how we want to die, right? I mean, we we hope that we go with that kind of courage, that kind of joy and faithfulness and strength. I think Daniel 2 is is saying to us this morning, it's giving us a picture that says simply that our faith, our faith and our lives are married together. That our lives are shaped by our faith and what we place it in and where we have our hope and where we've built our foundation and where we live in those hard times. It says to us that what we believe matters. How Kara and Ben died is a reflection of their faith. It's a reflection of their hope. It's a reflection of where they were rooted Not just in the hard things and the big things, but in each and every moment of the day. Does what you believe shape your life? Does the cross shape your life? Does the hope of the resurrection and the return of the King of Kings shape the way you live and what you do and how you parent and how you work and manage money? Daniel 2 gives us this morning a picture of really two opposing ways of living life. Life without faith in the one true and living God and life with it. Life without faith and life with faith. You're here this morning and you are a Christian and you already have faith and you think, you know, Marty, I've already got faith. I'm living life in faith. I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment, though, and think in those times when, when life is really actually hard, Where do you run? What do you hope is there for you on the other end? When layoffs happen, when poor diagnosis come back from test results, where are you running to? Where's that hope, your comfort, your strength, your courage to face this life? I think as Christians, there are still moments in each of us where we're not running to the Lord, where we don't run to God, but we run to other things. And we understand life is hard. We understand, oh, we understand life's hard. We understand that it's difficult, that we face misery and pain 
And life with God makes it somewhat manageable. It doesn't get rid of it, right? I mean, Daniel still faces a pretty hard situation here. But I think we'll see as we walk through this how these two choices in life, life without God and life with God, how they lead us to greater faith, to greater courage and greater hope. Our two points today then are life without God and life with God. We'll start with looking at life without God. First, life without God is exposing. It exposes us. It exposes us in quite a few ways. The first way is fear. But verses 1 to 11, what do we see? Nebuchadnezzar, king of the known world. He's had bad dreams. And he's troubled in spirit and he's without sleep. You ever been worried about something so much you're without sleep? I have. You ever had a nightmare that left you without sleep? I have. It wasn't my nightmare, but it was my daughter's. Sometimes she still has them and wakes us up, and for three or four hours after that, they keep coming back. It's miserable. But we've experienced this, right? I mean, we we know that there are things in life that weigh us down so much that they eat away at the very things we need, like sleep. Or they leave you without an appetite. February of 2009... I was working in finance for the capital group companies. At that point, they were 76 years old. They had never had layoffs. In February of 2009, they laid off their first employees. It was the winding down of the subprime mortgage mess. And this stalwart of financial conservatism had been bitten by it. And I remember thinking, well, first it started on the service side. And they laid off a few hundred people there. And they closed the entire East Coast sales department. And asked five people to move to San Antonio. No thanks. I was sick. Went without work. Wondered how we were going to afford life and rent and groceries. Depressed. I just wanted to sleep. Where do you go when that kind of trouble hits? Where do you go? It's not only exposing in our fear, it exposes our inabilities. Daniel and the other wise men, the Chaldeans, both say this, right? I mean, the Chaldeans say, no king has ever asked such a hard thing. No one can do this except for the gods who do not dwell in flesh. Daniel shows up for his appointment with the king and says, no man on earth can do this. No one has the ability or the power to do this. None of us do. It exposes our inability. Daniel is really shaming the Chaldeans who are still there, who are hearing all of this. Shaming the king. You've relied so long on these things, these sorcerers, these magicians, your might, your power, your riches. But they're inadequate. They've earned you nothing. They haven't done anything for you. They haven't solved anything for you. They've actually still left you in the grips of fear, on the edge of uncontrolled. And you've just been managing He's looking at us and saying, 
How's that resume doing for you? How's that white picket fence, those two and a half kids, and little foo foo doing for you? How's that 401k? How's that law degree? You see, it doesn't do things for you. To have and to have and to have, when life hits you with a right hook, all the money and all the power, all the relationships, all the education still leave you full of fear and anxiety, still leave you longing and wanting. And Daniel 2 says, How are they working out for you, Nebuchadnezzar? Not only exposes our inabilities, exposes our fears, but it shocks us. It shocks us. It shocks us because what it does is take the very things that we rely on and says, they don't work. Here he is speaking to the king of the known world, Nebuchadnezzar, who is worshipped as a deity pretty much. And he's going to lay before him this prophecy, this dream. And it's not all roses for Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because it shows him and shocks him with the fact that his kingdom's not going to last. Right? I mean, verse 37, he's laying it out for them. And he says, you, O king, the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man and the beasts of the field. Another kingdom inferior to you is coming. There's two really important words that start that section off. He's looking at Nebuchadnezzar who thinks, my military might, my strategy, my power is what I have earned this kingdom with. I've taken over kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. And then Daniel says, you, O king of kings, you whose kingdom is all of the earth, to whom God has, has given, has given the kingdom. It's not by Nebuchadnezzar's hands. It's not by Nebuchadnezzar's military. It's not by his economic force, his might, his strategy, It was given to him by the grace of God. When was the last time you you thought like that? When was the last time you thought my education, my intelligence, my job, my money, my family, all of these good things I have are not by my own works, my own might, but solely from the grace of God? It's shocking. It's off-putting in some ways. Many of you have worked very hard throughout your lives to secure your families to secure the life you have. And Daniel here says, by the grace of God, you're given that. It's hard to hear. It's humbling. It's also the fleeting nature of human power that it shocks us with. Right? It says that there's, what, an inferior kingdom. And then it goes on to say, and then there's another kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, the Medes, and the Persians are next. And then the Greeks, and the Romans, and then whoever's next, and next, and next, and next. It's not lasting Sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom that you've established will not be the forever kingdom. Sorry to tell you that. Now, think through that. The fact that he's saying that all the kingdoms to come are not ones that are lasting except for one. 
It gives us pause. It allows us to take a deep breath amidst all the turmoil of our political dogmatics and arguments and say, even this one is fleeting in its power. That the reality that we live in today is not an eternal one. That even this American hegemony will end. There is only one lasting and enduring kingdom. And the Bible is clear that that kingdom is not any of them that we inhabit now on earth. It also shows us a a puzzle within the power that drives us to God. Drives us to God. It says he, he spends so much time talking about this iron, which is the Roman kingdom. So much time talking about its might to break and to destroy. But then they say what? But even it will be destroyed. Even it will pass. Even it will not endure. All of the cultures around us, all of the kingdoms around us, all of the people around us, in their beauty, there is still brokenness. In their beauty, there is still brokenness. They are as powerful as they are weak. They are as dependent as they are independent. For it is only in the power and the grace of God that they have it at all. So how's it been working putting your hope in the Dow Jones or the military might of our country or in your job, your intelligence? It's really all just sand through our fingers. It's fleeting in its power and its dominion. It's fleeting in its ability to calm your fears and your anxiety. It's fleeting in its ability to provide any lasting hope or joy. And Daniel's just standing here in front of Nebuchadnezzar and all of his magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, and he's shaming them with it. And they know it. I mean, the Chaldeans have been trying to buy time for the first part of the chapter. But Daniel 2 invites us to be a little less disappointed with the world around us. It it invites us to be a little more hopeful because not only does it tell us what life without God looks like, it tells us what life with God looks like. Daniel, who's rooted in his faith, living life knowing the one true and living God, gives us a pattern for what it looks like to face difficult things and hardships in that reality. What does he do? Well, one, he's rooted in the promises and the power of God. Where do we see it? We see it in verse 16. What does Daniel do? Daniel hears the bad news. He hears the bad news that if they can't tell the king the dream, they're all going to die. They're going to be ripped from limb to limb. That does not sound like the way I want to go. Verse 16. He hears this news. And it says, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Come again? He hasn't prayed yet. He hasn't beseeched God yet. He hasn't drawn together in community yet. He hasn't done any of the things that he's going to do after this. And he's already said to the king, just give me a time. Tell me when to come before you. Why? Because he trusted the God his faith is in, has the power to do this thing. And he believes in the promises of God. That God will deliver him. That God is for him. That God 
is going to work in this. And so he says, I'm going to go and request it. I'm going to go and tell the king to just tell me when to come and I'm going to do this thing for him. He's rooted in the promises and the power of God. He's rooted in community. So he goes and makes this appointment and the next thing he does is to do what? To draw in Hananiah. To draw in Mishael. To draw in Azariah and the others. Do you have Christian community that you run to when life is hard? You know, we got this thing going on in February, Growing Together, small group initiative, where we're all going to, you know, if you're not in a group, we are encouraging you to sign up to get in a group, and we're going to spend four weeks studying the same thing as a church in these small groups. Why? Why do we think it's a big deal? Because we need each other. You need Christian community. You need folks who are going to remind you of the promises, remind you of the power, remind you of the good news of the gospel. In the midst of hard things. And of difficult things. Daniel's rooted in community. He's also rooted in prayer. They don't just get together and think, well, you know, we got a, a bunch of us in the room that don't know what we're doing, so now we're smarter because of it. No, they realize they need the mercy of God. Right? Verse 17, he gathers with them. Verse 19, 18, it says that they did what? That they sought the mercy of the Lord in this matter. They sought the mercy of the Lord. They went to the Lord in prayer. Life with God, one that is rooted in prayer. We struggle with that one. Right? Even the best of us have moments where we go, well, I'm not doing this. Because we, we don't see the real power in it. Daniel's hoping there's power in it because he's already said to the king, I'm coming. Do you have that kind of faith? See, that faith is rooted not in the fact that he's thinking God's going to answer the prayer the way he wants it answered, but it's rooted in the fact that he believes the promises that God has told him and given him. It's rooted in worship. Verses 20 to 23, it says in verse 19 that the mystery is revealed, his prayers are answered. Now, we know that, that if he can do this thing, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to make him real rich, real powerful. I mean, he just hit like the mega millions jackpot of life. And he doesn't run with his lottery ticket back to the king to get his payday. He stops and worships. He, he stops and worships. It says, Daniel, bless the God of heaven and said, blessed be the name of the God of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. He worships. It's the theological center of this whole chapter. Their worship of God because of the answered prayer. A prayer that reminds them of how much they need him. A prayer that reminds them of of how small they are and how great and mighty he is. 
as a community that's gathered together, praying together and worshiping together, are we reminding each other of our need for Jesus? Are we reminding each other of our need for the sovereign God? Or are we running off with our lottery ticket? It's also rooted in a hope for a future king and kingdom. But it's also still present here. You know, we can look at the world around us and its brokenness and its shambles and its suffering and think, we've got the hope of heaven. And so we can sing, I'll fly away and just kind of forget about life around us. That's not what Daniel does. Daniel goes and tells the king these things, and then what does the king do? Well, the king pays homage to him and commands an offering of incense be offered to him and says to him, truly, your God is the God of gods, the revealer of mysteries. Then he gave David high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and made him the chief prefect over all the wise men. And Daniel made a request of the king that he appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to be those that would be over the affairs of Babylon. And Daniel remained in the king's courts. He put down roots there. Even knowing the prophecy he had just revealed to the king said this kingdom's not going to last. He began to work for the good of that kingdom. He began to invest in it for the good of all of them. Not just him. All of them. And he's placed what? As prefect over all the wise men. All of those who face the same thing he did. This isn't a passage of, you know, martyrdom or passage of him being persecuted. They were all in the same boat. All of the wise men were in the same boat that Daniel was. Reveal the dream or die. Not wanting to die, Daniel beseeched the Lord. And in it saved all of them. His hope rooted in this future kingdom, but investing here. This life with God, though, is also encouraging to us because of this future kingdom, this promise that is coming, this stone that will be made into a mountain that covers all of the earth. And then verse 44, this kingdom that's everlasting, that's never-ending. I know if this verse wasn't here this morning, if, if verse 44 wasn't there, then I couldn't blame you for looking around at this world and all the hardship, all the brokenness, all the suffering and just thinking, I need to eat more and drink more and earn more and work more. Because it would just be all that there is. And so we might as well cover up the pain as best we can. But we have a promise. We have a promise that the kingdom of God is advancing even this moment. 44 says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The enduring kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, 
the kingdom that actually gives us hope of a better time to come. God says in this prophecy that his kingdom is advancing. Even now, it is advancing and it's growing and growing and growing and it will encompass the whole earth. And what's it going to do? Well, it's going to restore all things and it's going to destroy all the evil things. All of the things that are the effects of the fall, of the curse, of sin. And so because of that, we don't have to be vengeful, cynical people. We can live with a hope that says that we can invest in this. We can work for the good of this. We live in between these two realities, and it says this isn't the end of the story. There's still more pages to turn and more chapters to come. The epilogue, while we know the end, hasn't been written outside of the Word of God. Daniel 2 gives us, even as Daniel was exiled in, what, 605 B.C., gives us Jesus. Right? This, this stone that's cut not by human hands, in verse 45, is the stone where Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. It's me who's been rejected. I am the stone that if you throw yourself on, will build you up. But if thrown on you, will crush you. This stone, it will either crush you or build you. It will either terrorize you or save you. Jesus is saying, I am the sure foundation on which to build your life. I am the sure place to place your anchor. I am the place that provides you the surest hope for the rest of life. Daniel's giving us comfort here. Comfort in the, in the, in the coming of King Jesus. Comfort in the coming kingdom. How do you live in a pagan world without becoming pagan? You fix your eyes on the king. On the stone that's unmovable. On the cornerstone, on the sure foundation, we find hope and strength and courage to face the hard things, to face our suffering by looking at the one who has suffered, by looking at the one who has bared the curse, by looking at the one who says to us, I've defeated it all, and my kingdom is coming again. You live in a pagan world without becoming a pagan by looking to the cross of Christ and resting in the hope of a kingdom that is here and ever-growing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for the encouragement that it is that life with you provides us joy and hope. Hope that the, the hard things and the difficult things are passing And the beautiful things are coming ever clearer into view. Let us be encouraged this morning to live our faith more boldly, to live our faith for those around us and their good, that they too may fix their eyes on the cross. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.